What words to a song. What amazing words. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. Can you imagine that the Holy Spirit would not be welcome here amongst us? That the omnipotent Father would not be welcomed here? He is. And Lord, we do pray that you would take over this service today. So good morning, everyone. And good morning. I see a couple of faces I'm not... I, I don't recognize, and one that is back, thank you, Lamont, we're so delighted, and thank you so much for playing. What a blessing you are to us, Erica. Wasn't that a beautiful song? We're going to actually do Emmanuel next week as well, and she's warming us up for it, so thank you so much, Erica. We praise the Lord for you. Pastor Frank and Caroline are back in the states they've been here for a couple weeks now and the first week they were in repair and rejuvenation they were in deep jet lag not feeling very well i think they are going to be visiting us when pastor have you talked to them as to when they're coming Next week. Okay, so next week we're going to hear from Caroline and Pastor Frank to see how he they did in Turkey. And um, we're excited about that. Heavenly Father, we do praise and thank you for your great and glorious mercy that falls upon us continually as we walk. Thank you, Lord, for uh, the psalm this morning and uh, Robert leading us in the psalm and reminding us that you cleanse us from all unrighteousness, that you lead us in the paths of, of righteousness, that your hand is ever upon us. We praise and thank you that at this time of the year that we are so mindful of your coming and your uh, cleansing work and the reminder that you are coming again. Be with us today, Father. Touch and bless um, our, our Pastor Ray as he brings your message and the music as we are able to worship and glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. The Gospel of John speaks of Christ as the true light coming into the world. In commemoration of that coming, we light the candles for the four weeks leading to Christmas and reflect on the coming of Christ. It is significant that the church has always used that language, the coming of Christ, because it speaks to a deep truth. Christ is coming. Christ is always coming, always entering a troubled world, a wounded heart. And so we light the first candle, the candle of hope, and dare to express our longing for peace, for healing, and the well-being of all creation. Join me, please. Loving God, as we enter this Advent season, we open all the dark places in our lives and memories to the healing light of Christ. Show us the power of hope. Prepare our hearts to be transformed by you that we may walk in the light of Christ. Take time in the busyness of the season for quiet reflection, for the light of God's love is discernible everywhere. Welcome Christ to your heart this season and go forth with the knowledge that Christ is coming and is our hope. Good morning, everybody. <laughs> the wisdom from above. The wisdom that is from above is first pure and peaceable. Today, there is more knowledge in the world than ever before. Computer and fiber optics, the cables, can transmit information in a millisecond to any part of this globe. More facts have been discovered in the last 100 years than all the centuries of human history combined. Yet, in this same time period, there's also recorded the most devastating wars and the fiercest genocides in human history. We have never been further from solving our basic problems. But the Bible says there are two kinds of wisdom. Wisdom of the world, and then there's wisdom of God. 
So first, the wisdom of God has given us is that it's a wisdom that uh, views life in terms of eternity. And of this wisdom, the scripture says, the wisdom is far, is, excuse me, the wisdom is from, that is from above, is first pure, peaceable, gentle, willingness to yield, full of mercy, good fruits, and without partiality and without hypocrisy. The second is the wisdom of the world. This wisdom excludes God and his moral standards from human decisions and seeks to solve society's problem apart from him. But where has that gotten us? Which kind of wisdom will you choose? And the hope for today, there are people who have shown great wisdom that don't have a college degree, and the opposite is true. True wisdom comes from God. Let's be certain that we are making decisions based on the right kind of wisdom. We bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. We bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. And we offer up
Ecclesiastes, third chapter. To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck what is planted, time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to gain and a time to lose. A time to keep, a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate a time of war, and a time of peace. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Yeah. 
Testament reading today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24, verses 36 through 44. However, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered this boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. Two men will be working together in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding flour at the mill. One will be taking, the other left. So you too must keep watch, for you do not know what day our Lord is coming. Understand this. If a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. You must also be ready all the time for the Son of Man will come when least expected. If you join us now in a responsive reading. Almighty God and gracious Father, we give you thanks for the fruits of the earth in their season and for the labors of those who harvest them. Make us faithful stewards of your great bounty for the provision of our necessities and the relief of all who are in need. To the glory of thy name, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we know all belongs to you. All came from you through the Son. And Lord, you have entrusted us. For some reason, you created us and then you entrusted us with your world. And you, but you told us the right way to, to, to operate in it and we're doing a pretty lousy job overall. But Lord, we ask that you bless the gifts that we give today. That, we, that you will find them pleasing in your sight and that they will be given freely from an open heart and because of the love that we have for you. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Well, I'm sure most of you are uh, familiar with the story of the Israelites wandering through the wilderness. You recall that uh, <clears throat> the Lord provided them manna on the ground. <clears throat> and uh, I'm sure you recall the story of Moses smiting the uh, stone and water came forth. But do you remember the honey on the rock? It's in the scriptures, I promise. Psalm 81. Oh, that my people would listen to me. Oh, that Israel would follow me walking in my paths. But no, my people wouldn't listen. Israel did not want me around. So I let them follow their own stubborn desires, living according to their own ideas. Oh, that sounds a lot like today. Oh, that my people would listen to me. How quickly I would then subdue their enemies. How soon my hands would be upon their foes and all those who hate the Lord would cringe before me, doomed forever. But I would feed you, O Israel. With the finest wheat, I would satisfy you with wild honey from the rock. In Deuteronomy 32, the Lord describes how he alone led Israel through the desert, watched over them, provided produce from the fields for them, and wild honey from the rock. Therefore, it became a tradition in Israel that the finest honey available anywhere was that that came from the rock. Manna on the ground, water in the stone, honey in the rock. Everything I need, you've got. Are we professing that this morning? I do hope so. Everything I need, you've got. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3 from the Amplified. For his divine power has bestowed on us absolutely everything necessary for a dynamic spiritual life and godliness through true and personal knowledge of him who has called us by his glory and excellence. Everything I need, you've got. The word bestowed here. In this verse is present tense, meaning it's already here. It's resident in us. If you've professed Christ as Savior, you've got it. We're not waiting for anything. So if we can't say with conviction how sweet it is to trust in you, Jesus, something's wrong. Our level of faith is dangerously low these days. We're living below the station we are called to. We need honey from the rock. We need to cleanse our palate so we can truly taste and see just how good God is. Why did God cause water to flow from the stone and honey from the rock? So Israel would understand that he alone, God alone, was their provision. They're every sustenance. Everything I need, you've got. Let's pray. Lord, we have this bitter taste in our mouths this morning. It's called life. We humbly ask that you would cleanse the palate of our souls through your Holy Spirit. Enable us to not only taste your goodness, but to see it, feel it and even smell the aroma of your presence. Lord, we ask you to overwhelm our senses this morning, and not just this morning, but all day, every day. Make us alive to you this morning. Wake us from our stupor. Create in us a great hunger for you, a great zeal for your kingdom. Lord, help us boldly jump into the deep end of your ocean fully intent on drowning ourselves in your love. Why? So we can die to self and thereby come alive to you and your will for our lives. 
Anoint every word I speak from this pulpit this morning that we may fully come alive to you this day and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. My sermon title this morning is What Spawns Revival? What Gives Birth to Revival? When we left our study in the Gospel of John, we were reading the story of the Samaritan woman and she had just encountered Jesus and was ecstatic about her epiphany. We pick up the story continuing in chapter 4 of the Gospel of John. Show us slide number 2, please. <clears throat> Starting in verse 27. Just then his disciples came back and they were shocked to find Jesus talking to a woman. But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Excuse me. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. And the disciples asked among themselves, did someone bring him food while we were gone? Show us slide three, please. Then Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God. He who sent me and from and from finishing his work. <clears throat> Notice that. Finishing his work. We'll come back to that. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest, but I say, wake up. Wake up and look around. The fields are already ready for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike? You know the saying, one plants and another harvests, and it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work, and now you will get together the harvest. Show us slide four, please. Back to verse 27. The, the, the disciples have just returned from Sychar where they're purchasing food for their journey through Samaria, and they're shocked to find Jesus talking to a woman. Why? Because this was taboo. In Jewish culture, the culture of Jesus' day, a man did not talk to a woman in public unless it was his wife, much less a rabbi. An absolute no-no for a rabbi. I love the uh, Chosen series that uh, is streaming right now. In uh, these situations, the, uh, the character who's playing Jesus says, get used to different. Get used to different. It's like he's saying there's a new sheriff in town. And his name is Messiah, the anointed one. Verse 28. The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming to him. Revival is broken out in Samaria. And how many people did it take to start it? Oh no, just one. And what was Jesus' formula for this revival? He himself, one-on-one, -on -one, with a woman of, uh, most in the village would say she was a woman of ill repute. One person has set the entire village on fire for Jesus. Let me ask you this. What is the second greatest story ever told? The first greatest story ever told was the advent of Jesus Christ. 
for the purpose of dying on a cross for our sins. What's the second greatest story ever told? Your story of coming to Christ. Your personal testimony of how you came to Christ. That's the second greatest story ever told. Are you sharing it? We don't need programs. We don't need big top tent revivals. We don't need radio spots. We just need to share our faith. We need only a passionate personal testimony and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus gave the Samaritan woman, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And how do we get there? Prayer and fasting. Everything's good until you throw in that fasting. Oh, wait a minute. You're talking about sacrifice, especially this time of year. But let us do some soul searching. Do we really want to see this church grow? Or are we content with just being a close network of Christian friends? Do we want to see this parking lot out here filled with cars and people knocking on the door to get in? I say amen, yes we do. Do we want to see people showing up an hour before service, fearful that they might not get a seat if they don't show up early? Oh Lord, plague us with that problem. Show us slide number five, please. Verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. It seems he's saying the joy of the Lord is my strength. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God. The will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. Let's explore that, finishing his work. What does Jesus mean here? The work of salvation is all God's work. When we sow the seeds of the gospel, we do so by the will of God and the action of his Holy Spirit. The planting, the blossoming, the harvesting, it's all God's work. The Holy Spirit waters the seed of the gospel and brings forth repentance unto salvation. We either sow or we reap what God has already done. Jesus, through the work of the Holy Spirit, finishes the work. My dad always used to say, Jesus wins the game. All you got to do is show up. All you got to do is suit up and show up. John 6, 44 from the NLT. For no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me and at the last day I will raise them up. No one comes to Christ without the wooing of the Holy Spirit. So we can't puff up our chest and tell everybody we're a great soul winner. Because that work was finished before you got there. The Lord just asks that you show up. Verse 34, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God. What is the will of God? What scriptures say about the will of God? That none should be lost and that all would be saved. Preach the gospel to every man. Our job is to preach. It's Jesus' job to bring that preaching to fruition, to bring that preaching to repentance. He finishes the work. God waters the seed, nourishes it, Readies it for harvest. Show us slide number six, please. But there's the question. 
Are we showing up? Verse 35, you know the saying, four months between planting and harvest, but I say wake up and look around. The harvest is already ripe. We keep telling ourselves to pray for revival. But what if God is waiting on us? What if God is waiting on us? Waiting for us to take the initiative. To go out into the fields to start sowing the gospel seeds before he sends the harvest. Do what your hand finds to do. The best way to start a revival is to let the Lord Jesus start one in us. Lord, send revival. Let it start with me. Set me on fire. Light me up. Verse 36. The harvesters are paid good wages and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both planter and harvester alike? You know the same. One plants and another harvests. And it's true, I sent you to harvest where you did not plant. Others had already done the work, and now you'll get to gather in the harvest. What if revival is here yet because, what if revival is not here because no one's planting? Notice Jesus here specifies the cause and effect for revival. Planting precedes harvest. We've got to be sowing seeds. If we're asking why there's not revival, the next question is, how many seeds have you planted lately? Nothing's going to happen if we're standing around reminiscing about the good old days of the Jesus movement of the 70s. If no one's planting. Fewer preaching, fewer knocking doors and inviting their neighbors to church. Fewer gathering the kindling with which to start the fire. Let that not be said of us. Indeed, we will meet some people in the course of our lives of whom God has already let others speak into their lives, those whom others have planted the seed of the gospel, and we get the privilege of helping them make a decision for Christ. But we are also expected to do some planting of our own every chance we get. How does it work? Let's go back in history and look at how this works. The first great awakening in America began in the 1730s, before we were even a country. And it was characterized by the preaching of Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield. The second great awakening in America, the Cumberlands can trace their roots all the way back to this. That second great awakening was 1790 through 1840. It was called the rebirth of America. 10,000 people a week in New York City came to faith in Christ Jesus. In the year 1857, one million conversions to Christ were recorded in New York City alone. Oh Lord, do it again. The Baptists couldn't keep up with the baptisms. So they went down to the river, cut a large hole in the ice, and went polar bear. They gave people baptisms in the icy cold water. And nobody complained. Revival spread through New England and then across the pond to Scotland and Ireland. And then throughout the British Empire, even to the outlying colonies like India. It lasted 40 years and gave way to the third Great Awakening, 1855 to 1930. 
which gave root to the Great Welsh Revival. How many of you have heard of the Great Welsh Revival? 1904. It swept across the entire Welsh countryside to the extent that bars and pool halls and prostitution parlors all closed down. They had no business. It was not uncommon to hear a person singing and praising God in the streets in the wee hours of the morning. And what's more amazing, hearing this, the entire neighborhood, neighborhood would pour out of their homes and join in that praise and prayer, and a spontaneous prayer meeting broke out till morning. Oh, Lord, do it again. That's heaven come down. The courthouses in Wales shut down because the judges had no cases to hear. All the social indicators improved throughout Wales except one. What might you think that would be? Coal production. There were no automated coal carts. They were all pulled by donkeys. The donkeys were used to yelling and screaming and swearing. And all of a sudden, their masters were, Oh, blessed creature, won't you please get up? <laughs> they wouldn't move. They didn't know what to do. It was an unfamiliar sound. What do I do? And coal production plummeted because they couldn't move the donkeys. But bless their hearts, they weren't going to swear and they weren't going to lose their temper. Marvelous. Show us slide number seven, please. Let's go back to the text. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because of what the woman had said. He told me everything that I ever did. And when they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two more days, long enough for many more to hear the message and believe. And then they said to the woman, Now we believe not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. What preceded this Samaritan revival? One crazy woman screaming at the top of her lungs, come and see, come and see. What spawns revival? You do. There's no revival without you. When we dare to ask God to put a burden on our heart for lost souls, that's when revival starts. When you dare to ask God to clean up your life to the point that everyone who bump in, bumps into you asks, why are you so happy? What's wrong with you? I don't know what kind of meds you're on, but I want some. Give me some of that. When you're overcome with the charisma of the Holy Spirit, things happen. Revival comes when you're willing to say, Lord, please send revival to my church, to my town, to my nation, and Lord Jesus, let it start in me. When you and I want revival so desperately that we're willing to get off our one spot, go out into God's orchard and start sowing seeds, he will water the crop. The Holy Spirit will water that crop. He will cause it to blossom. He will bring it to harvest. And all we have to do is show up. But until you and I start sowing seeds, until you and I get out into the field, nothing happens. So we should stop praying, O oh Lord, send revival, and start praying, O oh Lord, Send that revival in me. Make me the match that catches the kindling on fire, which in turn catches the logs on fire, which in turn creates a bonfire for your glory.
What's our job as Christians? Push back the darkness in this world. Just turn on the 6 o'clock news if you want to know how dark this world is. I uh, usually don't listen to talk radio or talk TV, but uh, I happened on a uh, recording that Glenn Beck did with a young lady. She's 33 years old and quite brilliant. She just published a two-volume book on Jeffrey Epstein. And uh, let me tell you, he was into far more things than you know. He had contacts at the highest levels of government, presidents included, CIA heads included. He avoided prison much longer than he should have because he had so many contacts. It's, um, it's frightening just how, how prevalent, how pervasive is evil, not just in this country. Jeffrey Epstein actually got his start through a uh, intelligence operative in Britain. He did this in the UK before he uh, conquered the United States, you could say. But the evil is pervasive. And uh, it's our job to push it back. Let us pray. Father God, hoping is not dreaming. Hoping is the action that gives way to faith, which always gives way to prayer. And prayer is not a fantasy we spin in our heads. It is not a talisman, a dream catcher we hold up to ward off evil and pain. Prayer is all our hopes put in the harness of faith. And faith is the weapon you give us to push back the darkness in this world. True faith that comes from your word is the willingness to let go of our fears and failures and offer them up to you. True faith is our willingness to let go of the control of our lives and let you do what only you can do in your way, and in your timing. Father, we truly believe this morning that Jesus will not only save this town, but this nation, this world, if we will just get out of his way and let him lead our lives, our thoughts, our deeds. Make it so, Father. Make it so in Jesus' name. Amen. For my benediction this morning, I'd like to read you Philippians 2.15 from the message. Go out into the world uncorrupted. Be a breath of fresh air in this squalid and polluted society. Provide people with a glimpse of the living God. Reaching out is an act of wholeness, not only for others, but for ourselves. For we cannot be whole, hiding in the doldrums that we ourselves have created. We cannot grow an oak tree in a barrel. It needs acres of earth and oceans of sky above it. The larger the world we live in, the larger our lives develop in response to it. The smaller our world, development ceases. We cannot be whole and complete human beings if we cut ourselves off from the environment that God created and in which he is working. And rest assured, he is working. And he expects us to join him. People of faith live in a far larger reality than people without faith. Amen?
Why? Because God so loved the world. And that is the highest reality there is. Blessings to you all. Securely.